think it's going to be tough, right? Whenever you're playing at this time of year or into the postseason, you know, you're facing really good pitching. So, you know, there's ways to take advantage of that, whether it be get on base and use the running game like we did in Tampa or, you know, string some hits together or try to do some damage. You know, I think that, you know, there were some good at-bats strung together throughout the game. And, you know, a couple balls that were just missed, a couple deep counts, and, and just didn't really hit the pitch that we should. But... I think going forward, it's just, you know, you have to continue to, for one, trust the guys that are here and understand that they are a really good team. And, you know, you have to you have to really take advantage of mistakes is the biggest thing. So there's nights that you do it and there's nights that you don't. And the last two nights are, you know, the latter. Yeah, I'd say so. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was, of course, Blue Jays manager John Schneider's Blue Jays shutout. Second consecutive time against the New York Yankees as Garrett Cole, I think, cementing his American League Cy Young Award case. Two-hitter, complete game shutout, zero walks. The Blue Jays had two base runners. They were the, they really had one base runner. Yep. He did it twice. Yeah. <laughs> it was Brandon Belt. Again, I, I mentioned this off the top of the show, but if if every Blue Jays hit in the first two games of the series were home runs, they'd still be losing on aggregate uh, 8-5 to the New York Yankees. It's going so well. It's not. Still, in an overall sense, not horrible for the Blue Jays when it comes to punching their ticket to the postseason. The, uh, The Mariners are two games back of the Blue Jays after losing to the Astros yesterday. The Astros are a half game back of the Blue Jays for that third and final wild card spot. But that's a, that's essentially a full game because the Blue Jays own the tiebreaker over the Astros. And Fangraphs has their playoff percentage at almost 90%, at 89.9%. So I mentioned Brandon Belt, who returned to the lineup yesterday, coming off the, the IL, or uh, off the IL. I guess he returned to the lineup uh, in game one of the series where he did nothing as did most hey, of the Blue Jays. He batters. fouled off that pitch uh, that That's was on two strikes, and I made a point of mentioning it because of his hitter face and that yeah, beard of his. it's true. And and you know what? Um, if we're looking for positives out of yesterday's game, it would be the fact that he he did come through with the, a couple of base hits, which, which was something I was really interested to see if he could hit the ground running considering beginning of the season, first mm-hmm. time he came off the IL. It took a while. For Brandon Belt to look major league caliber. And he had a, a couple of base hits. Only guy that did something. Before the game, he had a, a quote uh, as relayed to us by Hazel May that that made a little bit of noise. The fact that he, he thought Blue Jays fans should make a little bit of noise. God. Quote, we need the fans to be loud. These are important games for us. Uh, I guess indicating, that knows, yeah. indicating that the, the fan reception... Has not been great for the Blue Jays. I I would go back to the four-game series. Oh, the, when they got booed off the field. Yeah, but only for the final two games oh. of the series uh, against the Rangers in which they were swept in a four-game series. Not a whole lot to cheer about the, the first two games in this series, but there is... Like there is a subset of fans and and good sporting markets in which there is proactive cheering. Where do you land on both the comment and the mentality that it takes to be that type of fan? A totally innocuous comment, okay? Like I'm sure he's sitting there chatting with Hazel, and yeah, it's gonna be great. It's a big weekend at home. You know, we got our fans, best fans in baseball. Like I understand the crux of where this comes from, and I'll deal with the, the fan behavior in a second. But just 
My God, read the room. I don't know if this is coming from a guy who's, and this is a just truly held belief I have that people who live in a warm weather place can only care about sports or anything for that matter so much because it's just nice outside. You can just go enjoy yourself. Maybe this is a guy who plays baseball in San Francisco or the Mm. Winter World Series all the time. From Texas. From Texas. And it's like, yeah, you should. You got to realize you read the room and how this comment is going to be perceived. And there was just no thought of that at all in terms of the fan behavior stuff. You know, the most famous example of this recent vintage anyways is Trey Turner in Philly. They're cheering him when he's stinking. Okay. Like, I think that's good. If it's an organic thing and it comes from a section of the fan base, obviously the most true example of this is soccer. You'll see it where it's like a concerted effort of we're going to sing a song for this guy or whatever the Mm. case is. I, if you have that in you, great. Good on you. I do not. Yeah, me neither. I cannot sit there. And when I'm by myself, if I'm watching in solitary, I can try to be positive about it. Like, okay, come on, come on. There is no part of me that is standing there watching my team get shut out in back-to-back games and absolute must-wins before you need to clinch a playoff spot Mm -hmm. going, come on, boys, keep on trying. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about here? No, I'm with you. I I think from an... Like, if I'm just thinking about it logically, intellectually, it makes a lot of sense, right? If you are looking for a home field advantage, which we'll get to in just a second, um, then you would count on the environment being positive no matter what, mm-hmm. right? That in Whether it's super impactful or even a little bit impactful, if it mm-hmm. adds 0.1 of a percentage to your chances of winning a, a, a sporting match, a baseball game, then then that's good. That's that's something that fans should be thinking about doing. But I'm of the same mindset that it's not in me. Maybe I wish it was. Like, I wish it was. I wish I could think about it logically. And listen, I've been in this industry now for a couple of decades, so my days of actually cheering for uh, a team are probably long behind me. But yeah, when I was a kid, I would attend games and, and cheer. But yeah, I cheer when good things happen. Mm-hmm. And I would boo when I was really mad and angry and didn't like what I was watching. And, and I, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, maybe if you build enough equity, you know, like you, you mentioned the Trey Turner example. Yep. I also think of the David Ortiz example yep. with the Boston Red mm-hmm. Sox after, you know, winning a yes. couple of championships. Yeah. And he goes through a slump near the end of his career, gets mm-hmm. bumped down the lineup. In that instance, like if you've built enough equity, not just in the season, but like over a prolonged period of time, like say the Blue Jays had just won back-to-back World Series. Or or even, I don't know, one playoff game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or the Raptors are a good example. Yeah. I, I know 2019, especially considering the things that happened in the world since then, feels like <laughs> a million years ago. It was actually pretty recent, and a lot of the players that are still on this team were part of that team. So it's... It, I do find it a little diff- more difficult with that organization to be as hard from a fan perspective. But this team's done nothing. Like they've they've made the playoffs, which is great, and they've had incremental growth as far as wins and losses in the regular season, year over year over year. They have not won a postseason game. I it, it, that's just again. I yeah. wish I had that mentality. I understand it logically. It makes sense. If it were me, that'd be a tough tough pill to swallow. That being said, like Blue Jays come out and. Lay the screws to to Luke Weaver tonight. Cheer your brains out. That's the thing is that uh, there is not, there are not people sitting there going, you don't have to just win me over a little. You got to win me over a lot for me to make some noise. Just go out and get, get 
get a bloop and a blast in the first (laughs) inning. That's it. Like, just don't have the game be in the fifth inning with Mm -hmm. one hit and everyone's sitting there looking at their phones going, oh, gee, thank God baseball's faster now and this is all going to be over soon. Just give them one Mm -hmm. thing to be excited about early on and have the starters done their job more times than not. Well, as of late, maybe not. But you understand what I'm saying. The You... As good as starting pitching is, and we all love a pitcher's duel, especially if you're a baseball purist, and yes, as the game builds, it's really exciting to see a starter just cruising. But let's be honest. We know what gets people excited. It's great plays. It's triples. It's guys hitting a gap. It's a big blast. And this team has just provided none of those moments. Like the Varsho moment in not last night's game, but two Mm -hmm. nights ago where he has the thrilling dash after the drop ball. Is that the most exciting thing that's happened to the Jays in the first two games of this series? Like it is, it's absurd how little action they've been able to give those people. So yeah, not surprised that it's sounding the way, the way it is. Yeah. It's transactional. Um, I don't have a problem with it. You you provide something. Or even if you get to a big moment, like I, I still think Toronto fans and Blue Jays fans get up in a full, course. Count, full count, you know. Look at the look at the Vlad at bat on again two days ago, bottom of or yeah, the third there when yeah, he had the bases loaded. It's just yeah, the proactive cheering. Well, I get it. I I it, it wouldn't be me. And apparently a lot of people in the city of, of Toronto agree with me. Um Blue Jays offense goes wanting, as mentioned, second straight game against the Yankees but like millionth consecutive at home this this home offensive split is is getting ridiculous I talked about it the other day Mm -hmm. about my theories with the ball and maybe some overactive humidoring I don't know necessarily what it is people don't think that's crazy by the way yeah I'm I'm glad they don't because it's not crazy I'm not crazy okay well hold on I said that's not you hmm uh, you know who I think is not crazy and I actually think is really smart? People in Major League Baseball front offices. Mm. And, and this one oh, in, okay. in particular. And, and Kevin Barker likes to call them the khakis. I, I'm sure they have a pretty good idea of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they need to spend the entire offseason figuring out what happened here. Because take the budget that they were doing for the University of Guelph Humber study of grass being grown indoors. Put it to this. There's There's going to be a lot of... A lot of tweaking to this team in the offseason. I, I mean, even if they win a World Series, there's guys that just factually are free agents and they're, they're going to have to make a lot of roster manipulations. And that'll probably occupy a lot of people's time. I want a whole team dedicated to figuring out what happened to Roger Center and the way it played this season and changing it for next year. Now, hopefully that doesn't mean changing the fences again <laughs> because that seems like expensive. and. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I want them to spend money on the players. Yeah, well, and there is going to factually be another renovation that takes place next season, which I I, I can't imagine impacts the way the the ballpark plays. I don't know though, like airflow yeah. and these things are all real, but it needs to be honestly one of the the top five things that this front office does this off season is figure out why Rogers Center all of a sudden has you know taken us back to the dead ball era. Get our nation's brightest minds in there. I want to see, even if it doesn't, even if this isn't how things are figured out, I want to see dudes with safety goggles and beakers on the thing. (laughs) I want to see, uh, like, you know, when you see those guys surveying on the side of the road, I feel like that would be helpful involved in this. Yeah, those things where they look through. Yeah, and again, the big yellow thing. Got to be honest, don't know that those guys are ever actually doing anything. It just seems... Seems there's like, another guy. Like, yeah, so they look exactly. through the thing, and there's, they, they've got a stick mm-hmm. like across the road. In the year 2023, <laughs> that's how we're doing it, really. Get those guys down there. They seem 
to have a good handle on things. Just anybody who understands anything, get them in there because it is confounding. And to your point, these renovations, it's more to the the kind of lower bowl, the inside infield mm-hmm. area. That shouldn't, but it will. I mean, airflow and the way things go through the park, it won't be nearly as big as the actual dimensions changing in the fences and all that, but I can't imagine that it wouldn't have a minuscule effect. And when we talk about baseball, it's the king of minuscule effects. Oh, it absolutely is. Like, again, I'm talking about four feet of, of average distance on fly balls being the difference between Rogers Center playing as an average mm-hmm. Uh, offensive environment and a very poor one, which it has this where season. Are you, just on where are you at on the idea of, you know, and this is a topic you'll hear sometimes <laughs> with NFL teams, right? The idea of Josh Allen and the Bills. They need a new stadium. Mm-hmm. Should it be indoors if it's for Josh Allen and the Bills? How do you feel about teams? And, you know, when you build a ballpark, it's for now, but it's for, you know, forever. Let's be honest, 30 years or whatever the shelf life seems to be on these things. How do you feel about building it to suit the team you have now? Well, I have, I, I, I had serious thoughts about this when this renovation was first proposed that, yeah, okay, it is for forever. And who can predict how uh, the Blue Jays are going to be constructed in 10 years? Or baseball will be played for <laughs> sure. But here's what I know for sure is this year they're constructed a certain way. And if you even get one or two years out of a ballpark that best suits your roster, it's better than nothing. In a win now time for the team. Yeah, right? it's better than nothing, and it's not like you're you were gonna turn it into um, you know a circus at, at, at Rogers Center. I, I I wonder if there was maybe some belief that they had done that, and that's again why I think they're messing with the balls a little bit at Rogers mm. Center. But yeah, I I I think it would have been smart or was smart if in fact they thought they had done it to 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 cater your ballpark to the roster that you had. And it did feel like Blue Jays go out and get a, a couple of pull hitters, left-handed hitters, and Dalton Varsho and Brandon Belt and Kevin Kiermeyer, and specifically the defenders in Kiermeyer and, and Varsho. We heard this explicitly with the weirdo dimensions yeah. in the outfield that those guys are really going to benefit defensively. That's happened. No, that's true. But offensively, it hasn't. I will say, though, uh, and this from MLB.com's Anthony Castrovents. Home, team, uh, home teams in Major League Baseball across baseball this season are waiting at a 521 clip, which is above 500, but it would still be the lowest mark in a full season since 1999. Now, the Blue Jays, 41 in 35 at home, which is a 540 clip, so above average. Um, but yeah, this is a, a situation across all of Major League Baseball that home field advantage is not what it once was. And it's also a situation in which the postseason format is so that it was intended to give the home wildcard team a massive advantage. That was the deal. We're going to add extra mm-hmm. playoff teams. Most watered-down playoff you're field. you're dead in the water. Most watered-down playoff field that we've ever had in the history of Major League Baseball. 12 playoff teams. But here's the thing. Like, if you're a road team, if you're one of the two wildcard road teams, you're screwed, buddy. You got to play all of your games on the road. I mean, these numbers would suggest... Not a big deal. I mean, the two games the Blue Jays played at home against the Mariners last year would suggest not a big deal. I wonder if there's there's a, a revisiting of, of how much of an advantage that is in the wild card round. 
Yeah, I, I think you have to look at it. I mean, especially if this sample continues beyond this year. I think the other thing with it is just kind of anecdotally, I think in my head, and, you know, it's the sport where the dimensions obviously do change. All the others are are identical, you know, depending on what rink you're at or what arena you're at or whatever the case may be. So you obviously have the built-in dimensional home field advantage. But just in terms of, and not to say playoff baseball doesn't get raucous, but we talk about it all the time. Baseball's not a rah-rah sport. It's much as a closer might want to rev themselves up, most hitters got to kind of calm themselves down to stay in the moment. And it just leads me to wonder if baseball just by its kind of nature is the sport least helped by it. And that this is obviously a sample size for this year. But I just think, I mean, you think of football, you think of basketball, you think of hockey. And I think of the home crowd playing a, a much bigger part. I don't know. Maybe I'm off base there. What do you think? No, I, I think you're on to something. I think it actually leads very nicely into our something to chew on mm. brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. So uh, Spencer Strider, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, they call him Quadzilla. I love this guy. <laughs> because of his incredible quads. Uh, he strikes people out. He's, he's a great, great pitcher for a great, great team and, and probably the favorite to win the World Series. Uh, he did a Q&A with an Instagram account called MLB Fits. Do you have any hot sports takes? Absolutely, there should be no fans. 2020 season, <laughs> no fans. Get rid of the fans. It's too loud. Too loud? It's too okay. loud. Everybody be quiet. We don't, we don't need the, the cheering. We know you're watching. Uh, I don't need the fans. Uh, you, you stay outside the stadium. You, I mean, back it up. Let's do like a no lower bowl thing. Oh, you know, okay. just kind of, you know, yeah, upper like deck's great. Upper deck's great. Outfield, phenomenal. Well, we don't, we don't need you around the dugouts. Right. Just, just try and be quiet. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, one, he was asked for his hottest take, and two, like, he's trying to be funny. And I, I, I appreciate the effort. Like, Skip Bayless has nothing on that take. That's a great, great take. We did live through this, though, in, in 2020, and there's a part of me, Brent, that does believe that there is, maybe not Spencer Strider in particular, I don't want to paint him yeah, with yeah. that brush because the guy was just trying to have fun yep. with, a, with a fun question, but I, it would not surprise me if there's a couple of guys, and pitchers would probably mm -hmm. be the guy, like, in golf, there's there's no cheering because it's a, a mm. high concentration. This week there is. Board, you're right, but not during the swing, yes. though, right? No. Like, because it, it's, it takes a lot of concentration to hit a ball that's not moving. I I've guess. watched you, the smoke coming out of those yeah. ears while you try. I Buddy. know. <laughs> but yeah, you know what's harder is like hitting a ball that is moving oh at God. 100 miles an hour with, with a cut. cylinder. <laughs> yeah, you're hitting a sphere with a cylinder. That's tough. Like, why do we allow cheering in baseball? I, uh, we got to get Tom Hanks to voice it. They're not cheering in baseball. They're not cheering. <laughs> oh, God. I love that from Spencer Strider. And I, I want to be clear because people get upset when I don't say that I'm mostly joking with this take. I, um, I'm the one guy in the world who was totally good with COVID. Uh, the only place people could get at me was on the golf course and no one was allowed to bother me. It was kind of <laughs> awesome. I just lived in my house or golf uh -huh. the whole time. So uh, I'm kind of with Spencer Strider on this one. And also people have made the joke to me that this is truly the perfect, uh, the perfect career for me because as much as I like talking uh, and I'm getting better, I'm not so big on listening. 
Oh. So it's just like, yeah, very one-sided <laughs> thing. So yeah, I'm kind of with like this. Yeah. Perfect. It's like giving an address to the masses with yeah. no feedback unless I choose to look at it. And we won't go into what happens to my brain when I do that. But I am so with Spencer Strider on this. I love this. Obviously, you want fans in big moments. But uh, yeah, if it's just about the enjoyment for him of his job, I love that from him. Yeah. And and I'm sure as a, a road player and certainly, I mean, you want to talk about the new renovations at Rogers Center. Certainly, there's some... Uh, a opposing relievers who would probably uh, be okay with like the bleachers not being full of Blue Jays fans and their close proximity to the visiting bullpen at Rogers Center. But it's always been funny to me that, yeah, just because of the way these sports have evolved, the baseball and golf are so separate when it comes to fan behavior. And I do understand that. They're different sports. Mm -hmm. There's an element of it that I do understand. But just like think about the actual mechanics of the two. Yeah. Again, you have a Pretty ball. similar, you're right. It's just sitting there, and you just got you swing. It's all under your yeah, control. Here's the thing. Gentleman's game. Uh, right. Whereas baseball, I mean, no, go look at some that, of the stories of... Yeah, early <laughs> 1900s, people oh. getting spiked. Yeah, oh, Abnor Doubleday. Who yeah. knows what he was up to back then? <laughs> yeah, didn't invent the game of baseball. Yeah, though. I know. I knew, I was wondering if you would just let that go. I knew you wouldn't be able to stop no, I, yourself. I couldn't, I couldn't let that slide. You, I picture you every day just going home and oh, watching... It? I picture you every day going home and watching uh, Ken... What's his name? Ken uh, Burns. Ken Burns. His, with his great haircut? 70... Yeah. Just uh, him and Mark Davis. Uh, I don't know whose is better. Uh, both not great. Uh, but I picture you watching that doc every day. It's just on repeat in your house, I like to think. I do love the history. Of course of you do. Of course. But yeah, it's because of that history that, yeah, it's just accepted that you can scream, scream. in the middle of an at-bat, which, yeah, I, I, I love. But yeah, it's I, I, I think it's pretty clear and obvious that um, hitting a... Baseball traveling at 100 miles an hour that is moving, again, with a cylinder is more difficult than hitting a stationary ball with a golf club. You know how I know? You'd, you've tried both? Yeah, well, I, I don't think I've tried to hit 100, oh, but no. I, I think I have an idea of how that would go. And, well. like, and while I'm not a great – like, I am capable you are. on occasion – of hitting oh, a golf ball. Don't hold yourself back. <laughs> you got that little draw with the stealth work and then. By the way, yesterday I played golf uh, after the show. Uh, first time I, I tried the no nap thing How after was that? the show. I was okay. I took a giant nap afterwards, but um, I had to pick up my kids afterwards and it was I was like right up against the clock. I played the worst amount of holes that you can play. 17. I played 17 holes. So I, I think one is worse than 17. I do. I, I disagree. I, I think one tease of just uh, imagine, imagine you just two crisp I shots, guess. a nice putt, and it's like, all right, time to go home. But the opposite of that is also true. Like, say mm. you take a quad yeah. on, on the first roll, you're like, yeah, you know what? That's okay. Turns I go, out I have to turns go home. Out going home would be <laughs> the best possible thing for me to do right now. All right, before uh, we take a break and, and talk to Jason Bukala, who was in St. Thomas yesterday, um, I want to play this clip from. Uh, Former Blue Jay Rowdy Telez, currently a member of the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, at last check was actually throwing a shutdown pitch and shutout inning for the Brewers, who are going to be National League Central champions. They just welcomed in Josh Donaldson to the fold, former oh, okay. Blue Jay, former New York Yankee, who was released from his contract. They signed him to a minor league deal. He was signed to a uh, minor league deal by the Milwaukee Brewers and then called him up. He's going to be on that postseason roster. Um, 
made his introduction known to the Brewers players. What's the one piece of trash talk that you put on, your first piece of trash talk that you put on JD when you saw him or when you felt comfortable that he wasn't going to beat you up? Um, I wasn't scared of him to start with. You're a little scared of him. I absolutely was not. He walked in the clubhouse. He walked in the clubhouse and walked straight by, and I was like, hey, with a couple other words after that. I was like, when you walk in the clubhouse, you introduce yourself to your new teammates, and he goes, everybody knows who I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And then I was like, like, yeah, hey. And then when, when you see a former teammate, you say what's up, and he was like, hey, are you on the seafood diet? And I was like, yeah, good one. Seafood, eat food. Beat you to it. Oh. <laughs> so All right. That's how we started, and it's been perfectly fine. Yeah, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. Um, so there's a type of person and a person with a reputation <laughs> where I would buy that as like tongue in cheek. The yeah, way no, Josh no. Donaldson's been one perceived to talked about um, in Major League Baseball circles, like media, but also fans, current and former. I I totally Ooh. buy that story as being, hey, I'm Josh Donaldson. People know who I am. Yeah. I'm 2015 American League MVP Josh Donaldson, despite the fact that I've hit well under the Mendoza line in now my two stops most recently in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I I that's exactly what I thought too. There are a lot of guys you could see that from and you you hear, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's like, funny. Even even if I would also roll my eyes at it from them, like if let's just say, and mm-hmm. I doubt this would be him, but if Joey Votto did this exact same thing, oh, he'd yeah. say, Oh, that that Joey, he's so silly. I bet he turned around and went, Psych, I love <laughs> you guys. Nice to meet you. But with Donaldson, you just go, Oh, I you could you could picture the movie scene from it right now of it's like, oh, Donaldson walking into the club. Everybody knows who I am. And then like, brum, plays like a bad music beat or something. Like, it is so easy to picture that guy behaving Mm -hmm. that way. And it is just a little insight into, you know, who knows what he was like before the 2015, all that. But I can only imagine how hard it is to be so, in the grand scheme of things, not that far removed mm-hmm. from that and still feel like you're kind of that, but knowing deep down inside, you ain't anything close to that anymore and what that kind of does to your psyche. Yeah, it so, can't be yeah. good. It no, can't be no, good. But, no, I don't think so. But, I mean, the evidence would suggest that, yeah, not only has it been uh, eight years since 2015. It's a long time. It, it's been a lifetime ago when it comes to baseball parlance for uh, Josh Donaldson. All right, when we come back, Maple Leafs into the win column in the preseason. That's nice. Uh, Young players looking nice as well. Easton Cowan playing in a second consecutive preseason game. What does Jason Bukala, Sportsnet hockey analyst, think of uh, the young core of Toronto Maple Leafs prospects? We'll get his perspective next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Toronto Maple Leafs with preseason game number three of eight yesterday. They should all be in St. Thomas or, or somewhere thereabouts. Smaller locations than Scotiabank Arena. It's a fun scene as the Maple Leafs take care of the Buffalo Sabres. 5-2. Connor Timmins, four points. Easton Cowan, getting on the score sheet again, very end of the game, uh, an assist in his second ever NHL preseason game. Let's talk to Jason Bukala, 
Sportsnet hockey analyst was in St. Thomas. How's it going, Jason? Good morning. Everything's good. Thanks. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. I mean, do you agree with me that like more of these preseason games should be played outside of NHL ranks? Like that that if, if we're gonna play eight of them, like ha- how about at least half of them in in places where the 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 locals actually care significantly about the fact that NHL players are in their city? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's a lot of fun, obviously, for the smaller communities and especially for the kids that were there, you know, like it's, it's obviously half full with uh, little people, I call them. And, uh, you know, they, they all got their jerseys on and they're, they're super excited. The atmosphere is fun and it's good for the players too. They can feel it. They feel the energy in the building. And I mean, it's uh it's a special, it's a special event. It's, it's a lot of fun. I know it means a lot to, to everybody involved. Yeah, I will personally never forget uh, Tavares making, believe it or not, his Leafs debut. No, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Scotiabank? It wasn't in some other NHL bar, and it was in Lucan, Ontario. And I'm sure there are a lot <laughs> yeah. of people there who will who will never uh, for, forget that. Uh, Easton Easton Cowan getting all the buzz in camp, and quite honestly, rightfully so. But I saw you on the panel last night. You were highlighting what you've seen out of Fraser Minton. I actually wanted to start there with him. You know, this is a guy who I read all the stuff uh, when he went back to junior last year. Seemed like a lot of people liked what they. We're seeing out of him. I was shocked when I saw the measurements on him. I didn't quite realize he sprouted up uh, to as big as he is now. What are you seeing out of his game? And you know, maybe this is an unfair question to ask, but I'm, I'm almost certain it's not this year. But what is a realistic kind of NHL ETA for a player like that? You know, the way Fraser's playing the game with the amount of detail he's bringing. So let, let's start first of all with the amount of work he's putting off the ice. So you know, he sprouted up to six foot two, but. He's listed, I think, at 206 pounds now. So he's put in a lot of work off the ice uh, physically to get stronger, and and he's better prepared um, for for the NHL game. I I don't personally. I'm I'm a little bit reluctant. I've seen. I was in Traverse City. He wasn't listed that heavy last night at the game. He was listed that heavy. So um, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's somewhere in between. But here, here's the thing. He plays the game the right way. And what I mean by that is that his detail in all three zones, the way that he is above the play when the Leafs don't have possession of the puck, uh, creates turnovers on the half wall if the opponent chips it around the boards uh, or looks to an outlet uh, option. He's there. He's there to support. Uh, down low, he leans on people. He extends plays, you know, bodying up or using his long reach. Um, and then you, you start to factor in the offense. I mean, the kid's got a very quick release. So his catch and release, when he gets it between the hash marks and the offensive zone, is very, very good. And, and he'll go to the net looking for pucks. So I really like this guy. I think that he's um, on projection. Uh, I call him a two and a half. I think he can play in your top six, but he's definitely in your top nine. And he can play in a variety of roles. Uh, he's a better than secondary scorer on projection. I think he's going to get NHL games within two years. I really do. On a recall basis, probably to start, depending on a lot of factors. But uh, don't be surprised to see him in the lineup sooner than later, especially with uh, the amount of detail he brings. Uh, so, yeah, he, he got on the score sheet as well, had an assist in yesterday's game. The, the, the talk of camp, though, is the most recent first-round pick by the Maple Leafs, number 28 overall, Easton Cowan, who gets to play in his second consecutive preseason game for the Maple Leafs people talking about that 28th overall selection is perhaps a reach at the time uh I I know it's you know it's we're we're not that far removed from the draft and we have a very limited sample but you hear all the praise at a camp around this kid is there some retroactive you know changing of of opinions to does Easton Cowan look better than you anticipated him uh looking when the Leafs selected him in the first round 
Yeah, he's, uh, I, yes, first of all. Um, but what he's done is he's carried in his momentum for the back half of last year. So his first half last year was solid in terms of detail and play and energy because he's a relentless competitor. But the second half of the year is when he really took off and started to score and produce more offense. And Dale Hunter clearly trusted him a great deal because he had a, a significant role in playoffs for the London Knights. Uh, you know, you fast forward to the draft and, and, you know, some people were surprised. I didn't have him that high on my draft list, full, full, you know, disclosure. But, I mean, what he's done is he went to development camp, had obviously some takeaways from there, um, and he's come back. Guys, like, I'll tell you, he's quicker and faster. Um, he's obviously excited and playing with a lot of confidence. Here, here's the thing with Houston Cowan, and this is what I really like about some of these prospects right now is – on his worst day, you know he's going to be a relentless competitor, and if he doesn't score, he's going to be a pain to play against. And I like that in a player. I like that because it's a grind, right? Danny Chell's a grind, and you're not going to be producing offense all the time, so what else are you going to bring to the equation? He fell off last night energy-wise. He, you know, his handles were down. He did end up with a late assist, but um, you know, can you blame the kid? He was awesome in Traverse City a week and a half ago. Um, so same with Minton and uh, he might be running out a little running out of gas a little bit need a day off but lots to be excited about there too because of uh, the way he plays the game do you think there's any chance of him getting getting a sniff and this isn't to keep him up here for the year but we know they have the nine games to play around with before you burn a year of the ELC obviously you're not going to burn that but do you think there's any because I, I was wondering about the possibility and I think the reason no is because of the cap and how tight up they are against it but I did wonder if that was a way to kind of head into the season with just a few more options available to Keith do you see any world where he plays a game in the regular season this year and starts to count those nine or do you think he's just right back to London no I think he's back to London I mean there's just too much competition in the lineup down the middle there um, you know, like Holmberg uh, showed well last night. Uh, other guys like Hirvinen, who's, uh, you know, here um, playing sort of, you know, these types of roles. Like Cowan can play the middle and he can play the wing. Um, but there's just too much of a log jam right now. The timing isn't, uh, isn't spot on. And I don't think, I think his takeaway from this is going to be, again, uh, building on his confidence of what he's been able to accomplish because it's going to be a real nice takeaway for him to get back to London. London's going to be a juggernaut this year. Like, they're going to be really, really good. And he's going to benefit from an elevated role there. Um, get him back to junior. Don't don't have him sitting around for a couple of weeks. Keep the momentum going. I think despite the fact that Matthew Nyes has not played a regular season game in the National Hockey League, he, he feels separate, uh, separate from those other prospects because he looked... Uh, as good as he did in those three postseason games for, for the Maple Leafs. He's, he's only 20 years old, and he's going to play in a, in a top-six role for the Leafs this season, at, at least to start, you would imagine. Um, how sure are you of, of his NHL potential as, as a top-six forward? Yeah, I have no issues with it at all. Again, what you're looking at here with this guy, I, I really think that the Leafs, the way that they're built, they're, they're more like a top-nine team than a top-six team. So if we want to look at it uh, either way, it doesn't matter. Um, he fits the mold. And again, what I like about his game is that, you know, he extends plays and, and he goes to those hard areas and, um, and he absorbs contact to, uh, to open up space for his line mates. Um, he's been really quick. Like, so in Traverse city, uh, made a lot of plays off the rush was really crafty in tight areas, quick release to the net. Um, I see a lot of positives, 
don't be don't be um, taken aback if his scoring isn't off the charts because his team game again what he brings to the group is going to benefit the group. Uh, I, I think to a man we we would we would have a long discussion on. You know, for the Leafs, did they have enough of that character, those those heavy, hard type of guys, to open up space and and you know provide that muscle for some of the other skill guys in the last couple of years? I would argue no, and I think that he's a big addition and a big reason why he'll slot into one of those uh, those top six spots. Yeah, it's also not lost on me or a lot of people, you I'm sure as well, the, the Leafs looked pretty different without him against Florida, and it shouldn't be the case uh, for a guy who had the limited run with the team he did, but boy, oh boy, uh, you missed the, the big body there, and then, you know, just bringing it back to what we talked about at the beginning with, with Minton, and, you know, I understand Cowan's maybe not the huge frame, but it's just these kind of worker B guys, and uh, it's definitely, uh, you want to see some of those guys kind of work their way into the organization. Uh, Connor Timmins, guy who worked his way in last year, he got the extension, uh, some people questioned at the time even the people who liked it said i don't know that you need to do it then uh obviously the everyone's talking about the points last night there's a there's a ton of questions about his game elsewhere but when you look at the production he's had albeit in a somewhat limited sample size it's i think 14 points in 25 games or something along those lines how does a team especially one with the defensive makeup the leafs have balance what he can give you offensively with the questions there are about his game Great question. I mean, but what he can do in training camp, especially, and, and that's exactly right, 14 points in 25 games. And, of course, I think he only got into, like, three games from uh, call of February to the end of the year, in or about that. Like, it was it was a long stretch anyways. And um, what, what he can do in camp and what he is doing in camp is give them a reason to believe, right? And um, the offense, like, last night, um, the first goal that he scored – I mean, it should have been stopped. It was, you know, it was, but he got it to the net. So, you know, the, the saying is, you know, get the puck to that, good things will happen. And, and yeah, it did. But the pass to Domi, um, you know, it, it literally went kind of over and in between three sticks from uh, the Buffalo Sabres, or, you know, tape to tape in the neutral zone. This kid, he sees the ice, he can move pucks. Um, he was a captain in Sault Ste. Marie back in the day. He's got leadership qualities. Um, if he can stay healthy and be durable enough and do things in his zone um, at a capable level, and I'm talking about third-pairing minutes here, so I'm talking about matching up against threes and fours from the other team, especially on home ice, be you know, reliable enough defensively to get the pucks ahead of the opponent and move it out of trouble, I think he's got a real chance here. You know, I I think there's some competition for for a job, uh, you know, maybe in the sixth hole with the Leafs. Um, I don't want to – I definitely don't want anybody to get, you know, in a knot over this. But, you know, Giordano, is it a load management issue with him this year potentially because he ran out of gas, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of last year. TJ Brody was, you know – barely adequate, I would suggest, in playoffs. So if the cap space is there, I think you're going to see him in the lineup more often than not. Um, and the Leafs need uh, they need to win games like everybody else. Everybody knows October, first half of November, extremely important. I don't care how good you are. Uh, your best lineup is what you have to put on the ice. Um, how would you evaluate the, the Toronto Maple Leafs prospects and their pipeline as a whole for a team that's been in a window of contention here for for more than a half decade and obviously has sent some young players and draft picks out, out the door at trade deadlines past yeah it's thin right now i'm i'm not going to sugarcoat it i mean they're they're plugging some holes with some real good uh quality um 
kind of a American Hockey League college players, if you will. But they do have some guys like Ryan Tverberg is a favorite of mine. I really like the way he competes and plays. Again, he's a guy that kind of plays like his hair is on fire and can produce some secondary offense. I see him as a recall possibility. I don't think it'll happen this year, but down the road. Um, but overall, you know, Dennis Hildeby, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how he does. You know, he's a giant in the net. He needs minutes. He didn't get a lot of runway last year in Sweden in terms of a lot of games. So he needs more volume. Um, but as a whole, guys, it is catching up to them in terms of their grassroots development, like their guys. And it's going to take time to replenish some of that. Uh, um, but we know the window that they, the organization thinks they're in. And it's going to take um, it's going to take more picks, and I don't know how they acquire that, but uh, they're a little bit thin, so it's it's a ways away to, to have this prospect pool coming through. Yeah, it's uh, when you deplete it the way they have, it certainly takes a while for it to uh, come back. But, you know, a guy like Cowan uh, maybe being a little earlier on the scene, we'd expect, and Minton taking jumps, those things certainly help. Uh, one thing the Leafs definitely addressed this offseason was the left side of the forward group. You know, they lost players in that regard. Michael Bunting was a guy who was really, really had great chemistry with Matthews. He's no longer here, but I don't think he'll be losing any sleep with Tyler Bertuzzi occupying that side. The way it looks like it's going to shake out to me is you have Nyes, and Domi on the left side with Nylander and Tavares. Both those guys are going to be your center. Do you see either of those pairings as making more sense, or do you think it's just a kind of trial and error thing? Like, does Nyes and Tavares make more sense, or Nylander and Nyes? Uh, you, you understand where I'm going with that, Jason? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's two and one half dozen or the other, because what you're looking for is obviously to add that. I know what you're saying. You're looking for that that combination, the grit guy to go along with the skill guy. And um, I don't know that it matters. I, I guess whatever comes through training camp with the most continuity is, is what you roll out. But I, I don't see that it's going to be etched in stone one way or the other, um, how that goes in the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, it's a different look. And, and, you know, when you add Reeves on the bottom two on the other side, um, you know, that's three slots that kind of look a little bit different. Uh, like Bunting, uh, when you replace Bunting with, with, with one of those two players, either Domi or Bertuzzi, um, as much as a rat that Bunting was, and he and he produced offense, um, these guys actually play heavier. I think they're 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 different. Uh, they're they're rats in their own right, but they're a little bit more sturdy, even. So you're not going to see so much. Um, I don't know. I don't want to use the word acting. Kind of that feels like I'm using that the wrong way. But it's going to be different when they battle, is what I'm trying to tell you. So um, I see good fits there. I, I see it looking different. Uh, Time will tell how it goes. Here's the thing with a guy like Bertuzzi. He scored eight goals in regular season last year. I know he missed a lot of time, but he put up five in the playoffs. Like he was Boston's, arguably Boston's best player. And and these are guys, Bertuzzi, Domi, Nyes, we know the impact he had. At the hardest time of the year, we need these guys to play at a high level. And that's what they're here for. Yep. Uh, pretty good uh, sample with those guys uh, most recently. Jason, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Awesome, guys. Looking forward to the season and talking more. Have a great day. All right, you too, Jason. There's uh, Jason Bukala, Sportsnet hockey analyst. Yeah, Matthew Nyes with the, the seven postseason games, the the four points, played three during the regular season at the end of the season when things were, were sewn up. But it's it's crazy for a guy who has such a limited sample, is 20 years old, coming off college hockey career. You just, like, assume that he's just going to slot right in there and produce because of – the way he looked in his limited sample in the postseason, the way he kept rising up 
the the ranks of of uh, important players for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, on the ice at, at crucial mm-hmm. crucial moments of postseason games with. With hockey, it's not it's not a sport. Like, it's just going, it's fr- front of mind for me because it's the two we're talking about the most today. It's not like baseball. Sometimes you don't need a super big sample size. Sometimes no. you can just use, the, there's these two things you right. have on your, on your face. Yeah. Most people, I don't know, maybe some people only have one. Maybe some people have three. I don't know. They're called your eyes. And you can watch it. And sometimes you can just see it. Yeah. Sometimes you get fooled. The Pontus mm. Holmbergs of the world, okay? But... We weren't thinking Pontus Holmberg was what Matthew Nyes ended up looking like. He's big. He's heavy. He has the pedigree. Mm-hmm. He plays with good players and immediately fit in. There is didn't a, look scared. Didn't look scared. That's arguably the biggest part of it for a guy who that's such a big part of it. Because, you know, it's actually Jason who tipped me to this when I was asking about Matt Nyes. And he said the one thing to watch for, mm-hmm. and you're going to see it early on, is is he a different guy when the cage comes off? Coming from college hockey as opposed to junior, you wear the cage. And for a skill player, maybe that's a non-issue. But for a guy who's getting in people's faces and blocking shots and being in front of the net and in the corners, I imagine that could change for some things. Uh, it didn't change Matthew Nye's uh, a, a lick. So I think that I know some people will say, wow, it's a pretty short sample of work to feel this certain about a guy. But just given what I've seen, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a first-line winger and have a 20-year career, but that guy is a top six cog for a long, long time. No, you, you make a great point about comparing uh, comparing. The- the two sports in baseball and hockey as far as how much you can use the eye test, how much of a sample you do need. Mm-hmm. I do tend to agree with you, but in the case of David Schneider, and I know I'm like shoehorning no, David Schneider's uh, in conversations into uh, hockey conversations. But yeah, I think there were two things I've happening I've never there. been guilty the other way, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> there were two things happening with David Schneider. But yeah, like the, the the stat line was backing it up and the sample was growing larger. But yeah, the, the eye test was working. But I, I think you're right. You need a larger sample in baseball. Even if you're looking at the eye yeah. test, like I saw 30 games. I saw a month month's worth mm-hmm. of Major League Baseball games with David Schneider. For Matthew Nyes, I've seen, what, barely double-digit hockey games for him in his entire career. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Even when he was, the, the puck was not going into the back of the net during those postseason games. He was creating. That's, Something was happening. That's what it is. It's not, you know, this isn't Connor Timmons. We're not sitting here and saying, right. ah, two and two, great game. No, that's a great point. No, we're saying, I watched it. He did great things. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, sometimes eye test gets overplayed and it, hey, we've definitely been fooled by our eyes before. Not to say that that's impossible, but when it looks the way it does like this. And again, I think the other part of it is the realistic expectations that are being put on him. I don't think anyone's putting a hard cap on his ceiling saying you can never be more than this, but I think we're all looking at him as that top six guy. It's not a bona fide first liner. It is a top six guy. And I think that is a wholly fair and realistic expectation. Not for what day he, one day he can become it. Mm -hmm. He is that now. He is that right freaking now uh, and skating on a line with John Tavares. All right, time now for the wake and rake, and uh, we've been making some money last couple of days Yeah, because we're really smart and we take Geniuses. unders in, in baseball games in, in which the Blue Jays play at home. Uh, that's gone way under. Actually, yesterday only just barely went under because the Yankees scored six runs. Somebody, I don't, I don't know if they tagged you as well, or they yeah, were just tweeting that. me going, "Oh, I'm about to blew this." I'm like, uh, the Jays still have to score for right. that to happen. So yeah, so it does. It, it goes under the the seven yesterday, tonight against Luke Weaver, Chris Bassett getting the the start for the Blue Jays. The total is eight and a half. 
I'm actually going to go the opposite way. You're going over. I'm going over, and I'm also going Blue Jays on the run line at minus one and a half at plus 105. Mm. This is, as I mentioned, a must-win baseball game, as decided by me, trademark, um, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Did you tweet it yet? or No, not yet. Okay. Uh, Save that for later. Yeah, maybe after 8 o'clock when we have Shai Davidi on, I'll I'll tweet it. Blue Jays. (laughs) have looked pretty brutal offensively these first two games of the series against good pitching. They've actually not struck out a ton. They only struck out five times yesterday against Garrett Cole. They are five for 46 on balls in play, which is, I I don't care who you're you're facing, like the the batting average on balls in play over a long enough sample will be around 300. They're hitting 109. On, on balls in play. so Ah, they're just our, unlucky is what you're saying. Uh, no, no, our okay. Garrett Cole and Michael <laughs> King factually good pitchers and, and contributing to the lack of offense from the Blue Jays. And these first, yeah, clearly. Blue Jays have also, as John Schneider mentioned, hit into some hard luck. And I can think of a Bo Bichette ball hit to the wall yesterday that's going to turn around against a guy who has a career ERA over five in Luke Weaver, who's 30 years old. Yeah, you'd, you'd think, yeah. uh, but it's baseball, and as you've said a lot of times today, rightfully so, uh, sphere with cylinder, yes. weird things. Tough. And generally speaking, lately, not good weird for the Blue Jays. Bad weird. So mm. I hope, I pray, and mm. I think I'm with you tonight, but I've seen this team play. So uh, Thursday nighter as well. We got a good one, actually. Ooh, I'm excited. Uh, NFC North Affair. As the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field, underdogs against the Detroit Lions, a point and a half. And as how, you, when, when, ever in I, the history of time has that happened? I, I can't imagine over the last Get two decades. Sportsnet stats on that. I actually would love the answer to that question. Well, yeah, not during the Aaron Rodgers era, not during the Brett Favre no. era. Like, so yeah, we're probably Bart going star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great point at home. <laughs> Uh, and for that reason, and I, I mean, I generally lean towards taking the points on these Thursday night games anyways, even mm-hmm. though it's only a, a point and a half, but it's the freaking Green Bay Packers at home coming off a huge comeback victory where yeah. they were down 17 points going into the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and Jordan Love, uh, you know, picking up some much needed confidence points. I, I Yeah, it's the Packers at home. I, and I, I know the Lions are no, no, no. like a little don't, bunch and don't. they beat the, the Chiefs without mm-hmm. Chris Jones. We, that's, no, the Packers. Don't overthink this. Yeah. The, the team that always wins when those two teams play. Yeah, the Packers at home in Lambeau. Like the, we talk about home field advantages. Yeah. I know, I guess it's not cold enough yet to be the tundra. The yeah. people of Wisconsin are all fired up because of Dame. You think yeah. they're going to lose? On Dame Dollar Day in Wisconsin? Not a chance. I like how you called it the tundra, which is actually the correct nomenclature. Did you do that on purpose? Because people that call it the frozen tundra, I I, I guess, are unaware that tundra itself does reference something that's frozen. Yeah, I I actually, I thought I did call it the frozen tundra. No, you just just, called it the tundra, which is actually factually correct. But, But the guy on NFL Films, whose name I'm totally blanking on right now, he goes... The frozen tundra. Yeah, and it just sounds so good. Yeah, it does sound good, but it's uh, it's, wrong? it's not necessary. No, it's not wrong. It's just like saying the frozen, frozen tundra. because like the frozen, frozen ice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Blue Jays are desperate for victory. Please. <laughs> uh, you lose tonight against Luke Weaver, uh, Weaver net now. Yeah. People are getting to their computers. Digging up those box scores. Oh, from they'll be making noise, Brandon Belt. Yeah. Not the kind you want. Yeah. 1987 ringing in uh, a lot of people's minds. We'll talk to Shai Davidi next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.